Well, this is great to continue in our series that we've been in on Empowered. We'll be looking at that specifically where we have been coming along and where we are and where we'll continue to go. We started this series of Empowered, Acts 1-8, that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you receive power. We started out in the book of Genesis to know that the Holy Spirit from creation to until Jesus Christ comes again is going to be with everyone who trusts him. We leave, have the Holy Spirit abiding in us and anyone who doesn't know the Holy Spirit will still be speaking to you. So we saw that both in the Old and New Testament where it was the Holy Spirit working in the lives of individuals, the Holy Spirit announcing Jesus coming and also the Jesus himself arriving here and declaring that the spirit of the living God is upon me to proclaim his word. And Jesus continued to give the promise that I promise I will give this to you. So before his death, he promised, stay in Jerusalem. And then after his death and before his ascension, after his resurrection, he announced that the Holy Spirit will be with us. He will be our paraclete. He will be our comforter. He'll be the one that will be with every believer, everyone who knows Jesus. I will dwell in you, I will fill you, and you'll be empowered to go out and declare that. In the last couple of months, we've seen Pastor Rob and Pastor uh, John Tadonia, and next week, our elder John Cortinos. We've been looking at various aspects in the book of Acts, the activities of the Holy Spirit. We started by seeing that the Holy Spirit will come as they waited in Jerusalem. Wait, and the Holy Spirit will come, and you will receive, and he will be with you. But with the coming of the Holy Spirit also came the proclamation of the gospel. And every one of those who received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost was not only Peter declaring a sermon, but everyone was to go out and start telling about the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we abide in the Holy Spirit in the church, we also saw in Acts chapter 2 that we become a church that is praying, a church that is teaching, a church that is in fellowship community like we heard from, from the ladies here. And we see this church releasing his gifts and powers to bring change in the church. As much as that is good, when we declare the gospel, it comes with opposition. We saw Pastor John talk to us last week about they're talking about Jesus and opposition started. But the opposition is just an open door to be confident and bold to continue to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ there. That where the spirit of God is, nothing can hold us back. And we want our church to be that church that we know the Holy Spirit lives in us and we can declare in the boldness and the power that we ended up with last week. So today we're going to continue looking at that, that the Holy Spirit wants us the word witness. We want to be people who've experienced something and we can go and tell others. We're going to see what is the witness of the Holy Spirit among believers and even outside of believers. So we'll be talking about the Holy Spirit in the church, but within the church, confusion also comes. So we're going to see the work of the Holy Spirit and how that we continue. If you can and able, will you please stand with me as I read in Acts chapter 4, verse 32 to 37. Hear the reading of the word. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, 
but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, may the reading and hearing and understanding of your word bring the transformation to our hearts now, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. We're going to look at a couple of things in this passage, and then we'll switch to chapter 5. We'll be looking at chapter 5 for some verses also. But here in this chapter, we're going to see a spirit-filled church. When the Holy Spirit was in a church that was Holy Spirit-filled, what were some of the evidences? What were some of the proclamation and declaration? And we'll see an example of what that does in the Holy Spirit. Then we'll hop over to chapter 5, and where we're going to see Satan and sin within the church. How we think about that? Satan and sin in the church. But we will look at God and holiness within this. So let's get started there by looking at the spirit-filled church. So we are looking at the church 33 AD in the city of Jerusalem. And Dr. Luke is now bringing, Dr. Luke who wrote the book of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. And so he said in the book of Luke, all that Jesus began to do until he was taken into heaven. And now he's given us this historical account of what happened in that church, but what can also be in our church today. The radical change in attitudes that people had. The first thing we see here, the spirit-filled church was one in heart and mind. See, the only way you and I are going to agree one in heart and mind is going to be what the Holy Spirit puts into us. The moment we receive Jesus, we receive his Holy Spirit. He lives in us. And that Holy Spirit unites us. We may be different in shape, in color, and size, whatever. But when you know Jesus, wherever you are, he gives you the one heart and mind. That is not something we can manufacture. That is not something we can construct. It is only the spirit of Jesus Christ that will make us one heart and mind. And the apostle Paul made that clear when he was writing to the Philippians. He said, have this mind of Jesus Christ. Oh, that we will desire to have the mind of Jesus, to be that church that we declare that. Because he says also, Paul said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is an ongoing, a continuous process that every day I rely on the Holy Spirit. So one in heart and mind. But the church was not only the church that is gathering to worship and teaching and fellowship. The church was reaching out in very practical ways. So we see that there are good news that everybody in the church should be declaring, but also the good deeds. So we see here in, in this verse, it says, no one claimed that any of the possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. From time to time, people will sell their land and houses. The second thing I want us to see in this text is sharing to benefit others. 
What we're talking about here, that the church has to find a way to vulnerable, those who cannot help themselves. How is the church showing compassion and kindness through the generosity of its people? So people were bringing their possessions together as we see here. Not that everybody sold their house, some people had to live in their house, but they were showing for the gospel to be advanced, for Jesus Christ to be known everywhere, we bring this to the church. And when it says that they laid it at the apostles' feet, they were not giving to Peter and Paul to own it. They were saying, we come and trust you, the leadership of the church, and trust you to take these material possessions and use it for the kingdom. You know, it's like giving your tithes and offerings to the church. We have a robust uh, finance department who show the accountability of how we're spending this money and how are we advancing the gospel. So laying it at the apostles' feet was a legal transfer for the responsibility and the accountability. And we are accountable to come and say, this is what your money does. You just saw that demonstrated here. They are faithful congregants who decided that, you know what, we want to help these little boys and girls, but let's help their moms. And so the story that is part of this life of childcare, you know, over seven years ago, some people sold what God has given to them in possession. They brought the money to the church. They said, let's help the single moms, but we can be helping their children. I still remember six years ago when the building right next to the rink was opened. We opened, we, it has state-of-the-art stuff in there. Sometime make an appointment and come and see Melissa because people have given now, they said, take care of these kids. Well, we showed up December the 5th, I'll never forget that. It was one child <laughs> with all the teachers and the staff. I said, oh my goodness. God just blessed us with the generosity, but we can't. But we are pleased to tell you, not only the sisters we've seen this weekend, but it's been over 100 moms and kids who've seen the transformation because of the generosity of benefiting others. So when we talk about by the numbers, you know, a couple of uh, weeks ago, you saw the video telling what did God do in 2021? By the numbers, every number has a story. Every number shows the gospel that comes with that story, whether it's an benevolence, whether it's a one-to-one -one hope, whether it's CSC, whether it's Christmas house, all of these things are what God has called the church, that you can do good news and good deeds. So that's what was happening in the church in Jerusalem, that they were caring for the needs so that the gospel could be advanced everywhere. So we see that God has called us as a church, our giving, our prayers. Oh, I pray that each one of us can be trusting God that what talents, what time, what treasures have I, have I been given to be able to give to the kingdom? God is looking for that, and it is us. God has no other plan to advance the gospel, but one plan, you and I, and we can do it in these ways by the good news we proclaim and also the good deeds that we do. So we praise God for that. But he continues to say another reason why the church exists, and we see in verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. The reason a church exists is to declare Jesus. You know, sometimes I ask, well, what's happening at Northland? We are here to worship God, glorify his name, but also to expand his gospel. 
The power of the Holy Spirit we see in this passage was causing people to witness, to tell about what Jesus has done, whether it's in good deeds or in the good news. So these believers, the apostles, what were they doing? They were witnessing to people. They were sharing the gospel. They were proclaiming Jesus in every way they can. So we see that what we can take away from this one is that we have to go and tell. There's a lost wall out there that if you and I are not telling them, they are not going to be in this building, they're not going to be online, but it is us that God has chosen as our agent of declaring the gospel. Oh, I pray that we'll be the people we pray, we share and we, the gospel and we care for people. That's what the good news is about. Your neighborhood, your friends, your relationship, people who are hard to get along with, you have a good news to share. Every one of us is wired to share the gospel. The way God has wired us is what we're going to do. Don't say go to my church or talk to my pastor. You know, I thank God for the way he has wired me. I can share the gospel. You know, I meet people and they say, you have an accent, which I think everybody does in this room, right? <laughs> right? They say, you have an accent. That's great. And they say, where are you from? I usually say from my house, but that doesn't work out well. <laughs> And they say, oh, are you from the island? Are you from the island, you know? And I say, oh yeah, that big island they call Africa. And then we always usher in a conversation. What are you doing here? I am here because of the gospel, of the good news. And I can do that in relationship by sometimes just praying, by sometimes just caring. But that's what God uses for us. May we look at the opportunities that you're going to face today you know, in your neighborhood, in your grocery stores, in, you know, you go for a walk, you meet people, let them just know, I am the light of the wall and I stand for Jesus. That was the church in Jerusalem. They were declaring, they were benefiting others, and they were also the church that was with one heart and mind. The message is clear. If you're still looking for help, how do I share this gospel? You know, just go on our website, uh, our Elder Dan, Dan Hathaway teaches a class on how to share the good news. You know, just talk to people about it. You don't have to be in your face, you know, wagging your fingers. But you talk to them about a loving God, a sinful man, and the good news and the gospel. That is what the church should be testifying in the power of the Holy Spirit. But we see one example here that was very profound. The second thing we see one spirit-filled example in verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. So let's talk about who is this man? Well, how did Joseph get? He said he's from Cyprus, way over there. He was an island guy, you know, just like people say I'm from the island. But Joseph was from the Mediterranean island, and now he's in Jerusalem. And what had just happened in Jerusalem? The Holy Spirit poured on the church, and the gospel was proclaimed by Peter, and this guy, Joseph, was in town. You know, he, we read further in the gospel, it was related to, to uh, Mary, and he was in the church of Colossae. You will read more about Joseph, uh, this Joseph from Cyprus later on. But he just became a believer and wanted to see the kingdom walk in his church advance. And so what did he do? We read about Joseph, you know, he was actually an immigrant, you know, just like everybody else come. I'm sure he had the right papers. But anyway, he was living in Jerusalem, and while he was there, he became part of this church, and he writes that he was a Levite. That is somebody who would spend time caring spiritually for others, praying and teaching the scriptures so people can know what is happening. So the example we see from this man that they gave the name encouragement. 
You know, Joseph, of the, he was called Barnabas. You know how people give you a nickname, Augustine. Everybody now call me Gus, you know. But Joseph was given this name, Barnabas, son of encouragement. Because he must have been giving great word to others. You see that later in the book of Acts. But he, he was such a man that I want to follow his example. I think all of you, I want to be thankful that you've been a Barnabas to me. I get encouragement from many of you face to face. You know, we meet once in a while. You tell me those words. So I want to thank you and my family that you are an encourager. So you are all Barnabas. That's your new name, right? I can call every one of you Barnabas that you have. And I hope. I receive encouragement. I hope I offer that to you. And we offer it to each other. Be a Barnabas. What did he do? Well, the Bible tells us he was also in real estate business. It looks like everybody in the church of Jerusalem was, you know, they are just buying property and fixing it up or they are selling their land. So the Bible tells us he owned a property and he sold it and he brought the money again with authority to the apostles' feet. Big business. Israel is a small country. So in Jerusalem, if you've been there very tight, so real estate is high price, you know, maybe like living in Orlando. So he sold it and he brought the money to the church and that was going to be how the gospel could be advanced. Whatever gifts, talents that God has given to each one of us in the body of Christ, may it be put at the feet of Jesus. May it be the things that we will use to advance the kingdom of God. And we can be able to say, I'm encouraging. So today, start thinking, which brother, which sister, which family, which situation that I just need to encourage somebody in Christ. Or I just know that God is calling me to give so that the gospel we hear is shown in practical ways. So those are the first things we see here in the book of Acts chapter 4. Now we go to chapter 5. The story changes a little bit in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we're going to talk about the first 11 verses, sin and Satan in the church, but also God's unholiness. Now before I get to that story, Sometimes when you read the Bible story, you have scripture interpret scripture. That's the best interpretation rule you can learn. So you look back, and we can look back in the book of Joshua, chapter 7. Similar thing happened in the book of Joshua. You know, every time the church is triumphant, every time believers are triumphant and victory in Jesus, Satan makes his way in the church. So they are going to possess the land that God had given to them, and Joshua is dividing the land and then sin was in the church, they couldn't defeat a little city of Ai. You know why? Because there was sin in the camp. And the Bible tells us Achan was the one who was hiding, lying, stealing, and covering up, and God's judgment came upon. Sometime read that this weekend, you can read the Joshua uh, chapter 7, verse 16, that the ghost of Achan is now what we see over here in the book of Acts. Chapter 5. So what do we see? How do we see Satan who is the deceiver? Satan who is the liar? Satan who is the one that comes and what God has said to change it from the beginning? What did he do in the scripture? What we see here, we meet a couple, husband and wife. Great names. Ananias means Lord is gracious. Sapphire, Sapphire means beautiful. You know, great things about them. They are part of uh, the AD 33 church in Jerusalem. And so they love the church. So they are part of it. 
But Satan is always going to come through other believers because he knows that, he knows that a non-believer, I'm not going to worry about that, but you the believer, I'm going to find a way to get through you. And so he comes through them in the same thing they have just seen Joseph did. So what did Satan, what do this couple do? Great idea they had. They had a piece of property and they sold it. All right, so they are also in real estate possessions they have. And then we read in verse 2, with the wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at his apostles' feet. So the first thing we see here, Satan and sin within the church, is that what was Ananias and Sapphira thinking? What were they thinking? Oh, they were thinking this. Oh, we're part of the church. We also could just write a check, but, you know, we're not going to be very honest. What were they thinking? They were thinking we could be, look like the other people in chapter 4, and maybe there were others in between. What were they thinking? You know, great idea. But it was going to not only bring separation in their marriage, separation in their church, separation in their community. So they were thinking about just themselves, me, I, and myself. That's all they were thinking about their calling. But as they came, we see in the scripture, verse 3. So they come. Can you just imagine? You know, the apostles are sitting down there, and they bring the money. And then Peter, the second thing we see, Peter's discernment and question to him and to her. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us that gift to be able in our heart to see a situation and to discern it. And so Peter acknowledged them. But he said this to them. He peppered them with these questions. How is it that Satan, see when I say Satan in the church, how is it that Satan has filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourselves some of the money you receive from the land? You see, it was very clear to Peter that I can see the deception, the lie. And so the Holy Spirit just told Peter, you say to them, just call it out. You know, just call it out to them that you are not saying the truth. So Peter makes that declaration to them and said, you're deceiving the people. You know, five questions. He just gave it to them. When we are filled with the Spirit, may the Spirit of God let us speak truth to others. May the Spirit of God be the one that we can discern a situation. You know, Peter can x-ray these people and see right in their eyes that they are very deceptive deceptive and they are lying to the Holy Spirit. So that takes us to what were the sins they committed? Lying, pretense, falsehood, greed, hypocrisy. You know, they were holding back for themselves. But they wanted to look nice that they've given part of this. What a sad story that he dropped dead right there. Right there. Can you imagine? Came to give you an offering and died. And she comes in later and also lied because they were hiding, they are divided. They are divided by their wealth, they are divided in their worship, they are now divided in death with the timing. So that was the scene. I was talking to someone about this message and I said, you know, there's always a consequence for sin. And he said, we today may have the same scenes of lying in the church, deceiving. And this, my friend, does um, taxes and those. I say, yeah, some people, they taxes and they just cook up books and put numbers and figures and here and there, you know, just to be able to, I can get from Uncle Sam what I do not owe. What a sin. What a sin. And there's a lot in the Bible we can see about when we call it sin. 
There's a passage I will read now, but we, we can look at it later in our closing time of really coming to prayer and repentance. It's in the book of Proverbs, and it reads in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter, I think I have that there, in Proverbs chapter 6. And this is what it reads about the sins that God hates. And it, the scripture reads, Proverbs 6, verse 16. There are six sins the Lord hates and seven that are detestable to him. As we hear these and we'll pray about this later, I can count myself on that list at one point or the other, but we grow, but Satan always wants to come back and to show us haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil a false witness who pours out lie, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Think about that for a moment, the sins in our church, and God calls it out to us. But the other thing we see is that God does not just call out this sin in the church, but God also, we see that God is a God of holiness within the church. You see, when this thing happened in St. Jerusalem Church, God shows his holiness. God shows his love. God shows his, his care for people. Because our God is a loving God. Our God is not just bringing judgment. So this thing that happened in this church demonstrated God's holiness, demonstrated God's love for his people. Verse 5, he said, Great fear seized the, all who heard. Verse 11, Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about it. When God acts in the church, it's to cause us to be able to come to him with reverence. So we see God and holiness in the church. Reverence for God is for all believers. They are not just a group of people who are those living Christian life, you're a pastor, you're a husband, but everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord that the Holy Spirit has lived you, God is calling us to live a holy life, set apart from evil. Evil is never going to be away from us. It will always be there. Temptations are always going to come. But if we live and trust in the word of God, every temptation you face, there's a way out. And that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God is faithful. We just sang about that. God is faithful. He will always make a way of escape. You think about the temptation that you and I have fallen. There was a way out we should have taken but we did not. So we struggle with that. But the faithfulness of God will bring victory. God is in the victory over sin. God wants us to know that temptation and trials, we cannot fall if we, fall, if we depend upon him. But then time comes, we fall and we sin. What do I do? Or right now living in sin or contemplating sin? The Bible says God is faithful. God is faithful. If we confess our sin, we have to name it, we have to declare it. If we confess our, our sins, God is faithful to forgive us our sins. So we confess, we repent, that means we're going in one direction, we make a roundabout turn, we go into the other direction. That is repentance. And God brings forgiveness, as you heard from our life hope mom, God brings forgiveness and he brings restoration. That's the business we have to do as a church. We have to do that individually. We have to do that collectively. Because of a loving and holy God, he wants us to come to him where we are fallen. 
So we're going to take some time to just do business with God again. I know we had a pause in the, in the service and said, God, it's me towards somebody, or it's somebody towards me, or it's in my family, it's in my workplace. But God, I want you to forgive me. I want to repent. We're going to have Pastor Mash will be playing some music, and I want you to join me or any others right here at the Kneelers and say, God, it's for me. Or maybe it will be somebody. Last night somebody said, there's just a brother. I can never get along with this young man. He just annoys me. And he wanted to lay that at the altar. I don't know where you are, but I know my father loves me. So when we talk about a spirit-filled church, they're demonstrating giving, generosity. But we also know that the devil does not. The victory of Northland to be the church that testifies to the power of God is to be able to live these short accounts with God. So as we come forward, whatever God is, is doing in your heart to do business with God, just say, God, it's for me. It's for my family. It's for my children. It's for our country. You know, it's for our neighborhood. It's for our city. God, we hear us based on his promise. So if you want to come forward as we go into this time, before we just take this time and Pastor Mash will um, be here, you know, just praying and inviting us to spend time with God in your seats and then we'll benedict over there. Will you join me as I come down here and we're praying?